In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures. And its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Okay, James, we are back with another podcast. It is almost the end of May, start of June. So we are almost three months into this thing. How are you hanging? Uh, good. How are you doing? Great. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe it's been three months. Yeah, it was like uh, the last game the Leafs played was what, like March 9th or something like that? The game they played against Tampa? Yeah, so almost three months. Yeah. 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 No, that's... Uh, the craziest, one of the craziest things has been the weather. I don't know, like it was, it was zero degrees and snowing like two weeks ago. And then it's, you know, last couple of days we've had one day, it was 31 degrees where, you know, in my neighborhood, like this, I'd rather it be hot than cold, but what a, the 2020 is going to go down as probably the weirdest year of our life. At least I hope so. Unless like space aliens invade or something. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. It has been a brutal year and it everything feels like it's happened like that game you're talking about against tampa that feels like forever ago it just feels like a different world even like uh i was on that trip in california before everything stopped and it's amazing like how different everything was was just in that time frame and then a week later how turned on its head it all was yeah yeah i was in california too and Oh yeah, right, right, right. You know, right. we were at hotels and we were at restaurants and we were, it was the, I remember in LA, it was like kind of the beginning of the weirdness, right? Like it was like the beginning of, should we be in the airport? Should we be on the plane? You know, like some of the flights I was yeah. on were half empty and people have been doing that meme on Twitter where it's, you know, post the last normal picture from your phone and my mine's like all like. There's pictures of me at like the Staples Center in L.A. And then there's pictures of me at that that Tampa game here. And it's all. Yeah. And it, it feels I mean, three months is a long time. I feel it. But it feels even longer than that ago that that, that was happening. Have you had any like um, have you watched anything good, read anything good? Like in some ways, like the, the stop in society kind of allows you to take a step back and maybe look at things you wouldn't have looked at, take time to do things you wouldn't have done before. Like it's, it's such an unusual, scary time that I don't know. It allows for lots of good and bad things. Yeah. My wife and I have been trying to like watch because we have the two kids we've missed pretty much every good movie that's come out the last, I would say <laughs> five years, five and a half years since my son was born. So, uh, you know, we've been trying to catch up on some of the Oscar movies and it's, it's been a slow process. Like sometimes we have to, with the movies, we have to, it takes us three days to get through a movie. So we watch it kind of like in hour long chunks. So we we're watching right now, The Shape of Water, which won best picture, uh, I think in 2018. Did you see that one? Yeah, I saw that recently. It, it's, don't, I'm not done it's, watching it. It's a yet, good so. movie. It's a good movie. It's we're, not, we're kind of like halfway through. We're halfway through and we're kind of like this one, best picture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it should not have won Best Picture. That's for sure. I keep um, calling him. I keep calling him Frogman. So we're at the part where uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, Frogman gets intimate with somebody at some point. So that's the part we're at. So, but uh, <laughs> have I'm you like, watched? I, uh, I'm trying to catch up on like all the. I, I love movies, and, and before we had kids, I used to. We were at like part of like a movie club where 
I don't know if you ever saw this. They used to mail you DVDs and we get mailed like two DVDs a week. And like I had this big list and it was great. Um, obviously, you don't need to be mailed DVDs anymore, but uh, with all the streaming options. But it would be great to, you know, get back into even watching one movie a week or something would be great. Well, for a long one, that would take you guys a while. You could watch The Irishman, which is like three and a half hours. But So is that good? So because looking- a, lot of, a lot of people say it's not good. It's good. It's not great. It's good. A lot of people say it's like it's boring good. and too long and like never found that. I mean, hmm. you could people can criticize anything. So some people may not have liked it. I thought it was good. What's a, what's crazy about Shape of Water winning best picture that year? Get out for sure. I've seen that. that. I've seen that. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. I, I did That's see that. That's just a no-brainer. Anyway. I wonder if Shape of oh, Water Oh, you know what? Shape of Water might just be like a Guillermo del Tormo kind of like, you know, he's like beloved by the critics and things like that. Like maybe, I don't know, lifetime achievement. Kind of, I, I don't know. I haven't finished watching the movie yet, so I don't know if it's going to like turn to the point where I love it at the end or something. It's just like 10 years from now, you're not going to remember or care to watch that movie ever again. Um, anyway, it's good. It's, it's fine. I shouldn't shit on that movie. I wanted to tell you, cause I think you'd appreciate it. I finally watched the whole back to the future trilogy, which I had never watched before. It's good, eh? It's good. The second one sucks, but the, the other two are really good. You know what? Like the second one, like it had so much potential. There's too much. Yeah. yeah. It's like, but like if you think about it, like I often think about that movie and it's like, oh, like there were such some great ideas in there. Like, like uh, Biff Tannen yeah. gets the sports book and then it becomes like the richest yes. man in the world. Like that stuff is just like, there's some really good stuff That's in cool. that movie. Like. I've rewatched that a couple of times just because like it, it comes to mind. It's like, oh yeah. And like, there's like Jaws 20 or whatever. And like the holograms and like the hoverboards and like, there's some fun stuff in that movie. It's just, they didn't hundred percent pull it off. So, but the first one and the third one's pretty good too, but the first one's a classic and yeah. just, just like I, good, good characters and like world building and all that kind of stuff. Good acting. I liked how, when they went ahead to 2015, how like there were like, hover cars and hoverboards and we're like we're nowhere near any of that stuff obviously but that movie came out in like early 90s i want to say when did back to the future 2 come like i was a kid i think when that came out uh 89 yeah 1989 you would so you it's interesting that they thought in just that short amount of time that we would advance so quickly well there's like some sort of i watch a lot of future movies and there and for screenwriters there's like some sort of there's this idea you don't want to put it too far in the future. You want it to be like, feel like I'm going to be alive during this time. And then like, so like in 1989, you're watching this and you're like, wow, we're going to have hover cars in 25 years when I'm like 45 <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't want to make it yeah. like they don't, you know, some movies put the, it in like 20, 2300 or whatever. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like anything could be true then. So. Well, the show, have you ever watched show Black Mirror? Yes. They do a really good job of kind of pointing you into the future at things that could conceivably yeah. be yeah, I st- things There that was happened. that one episode about the guy that was like living in the video game thing and he had to like get points by like doing yeah. anyway. Like there's, yeah, I've only seen, I think the first season of that, but it, it's good. All right. Well, we have not talked anything about the return to play or hockey or the Leafs. Um, so obviously the NHL um, comes out with their return to play format. 24 teams. I think what's interesting, a side note before we get into it, is that they were the first team to settle on a a format or first team, first league. Usually the NHL kind of follows behind. Uh, It is interesting that they're the first to kind of figure something out. Um, Now that it is like official, do you like it? Like I've thought about it more in the last few days than I did before. And I don't know if it's great, but I just don't know if there's anything better. Well, there's too many teams. It should have been like, yeah. I like, I can see wanting the Rangers in there. So maybe you could have done 21 teams. Any team that has like less than like a 10 or 15% chance of making the playoff should have been cut out of this. And it was only. But that's re- weird, isn't it, James? Why? Like, I was thinking um, 20 teams would have been good. But then you get into a situation where you might have to cut Florida, who has one less point. New no, York no, no. I think I think they're one less game. Oh, Florida was the team. Just do twenty-one, and either there's two ways you can do it. You could do a play-in game between twenty-one and twenty, and then mm-hmm. and, like maybe they play one game, 
and whoever wins that becomes the 20th team. Or mm-hmm. you do the five teams that aren't in the top 16, have them do some sort of like a play in to determine who, who moves on. Yeah. Or, or you could do like the book. I don't know. I just, including That's teams fair. that are completely out of it causes a lot of like, if you look at our Montreal site lately, there's a lot of debate about, do we even want to be in this tournament? And like their lottery odds got cut dramatically. I think Montreal, yeah. Chicago, Arizona should have been taken out of the, taken out of the tournament. Like they're, they're just not, I mean, well, I wonder it's, if like, it's not, it's Arizona, not fair. Air, no, like, well, that's the so issue. I think the knock on effect Jonas by including these extra teams is that you force teams like Pittsburgh who had the seventh best record in the NHL to play in yeah. this play in format. And that's not right. Like, you know, Pittsburgh and Edmonton to a lesser extent, Carolina and the Leafs probably shouldn't be in this play in tournament. Makes it much harder for them to make the playoffs. I think the the way that that ideally they would have done it is to guarantee playoff spots to all uh, the top three teams in every division, mm-hmm. and then everybody else has to kind of fight for it. Yeah, and limit the fight. Okay, so that would leave you with four the wild card spots to determine in each division. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that they. The other thing that I thought might have been interesting is you make the Leafs play Florida for that position because they were kind of in a battle with Florida anyway, right? Like Florida was what like three points behind them. With mm-hmm. one fewer game played. Yeah. Maybe you do. I mean, like. Then you're getting screwy, though, right? Like you're just kind of picking and. Well, you just, you're just keeping it in division. <clears throat> you're just. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I just thought that was the I team. Think 20 that, teams would have been better, but 20 teams means like you might have to cut Florida who doesn't. No, but I just like. Florida's yeah. actually not the 21st team. Minnesota is. So. I'm just looking by conference. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see what you're but saying. But I think yeah. your 21 team idea is good. Like this to include some of those teams, obviously, we know why they're doing it. But like if if Montreal somehow beats Pittsburgh, that means Pittsburgh didn't make the playoffs and Montreal did or whatever the hell. Well, this and thing Pittsburgh is. gets anyway. put in the I don't know if you saw the piece that, that I did with with Dom on all the odd. I did. I liked it. They get put in the draft lottery and they get like a reasonable like if one of those phase two teams from the lottery uh, wins a lottery, but loses their playing series. Like Pittsburgh could have like whatever Pittsburgh could have like a 12% chance at the first overall pick. <laughs> like, could you imagine? I know, but if you're Pittsburgh at this point, you're trying to win a cup like Crosby's. Yeah. No, 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 whatever. no. But let's just say that they try to win and they lose. And then it's like, oh man, like, it's just like, it's embarrassing, and how did that happen? And then, like a week later, it's like, oh, you get Lafreniere to play with Crosby and Malkin. And it's like, <laughs> it's well, and just... to your point, the opposite is also true: that Montreal, in that scenario, wins around, then loses, and their draft position is hurt. Whereas, like, they're not winning the cup this year. Like, it's kind of doesn't really. Yes, it's pointless for them. Th- that's the most. Like... That's the most likely outcome. Well, and it's. It's not even like there's like revenue from playoff games or anything. Like it's just, I'm I'm really surprised that like Montreal and Chicago didn't complain more about this. I, I, like I, I I like why would they not vote no to this? Yeah, that's actually interesting. Are you surprised more teams didn't like it was only two teams that voted no? Are you surprised it wasn't more? Well, like why is Tampa one of the teams that voted no? I don't get it. Like they they they're putting a, I guess because they. I guess they're hurt by not being in the division heavy format and they get thrown in with the Metro teams. And then all of a sudden it's, I don't know those teams. Well, and the NHL's decision on that is really doesn't make any sense that it's going to be determined. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It's going to be determined. The order of those teams is determined by their little play in round robin thing, right? Yes. So Boston, Tampa, Washington, Philly. So the, what, one thing that's really interesting and relevant to the Leafs and Leafs fans from that is that, we have no idea who the Leafs will play in the first round. Like it could be anybody. Right. It could be it could be Boston, Tampa, Washington, or Philly. Could be any of those teams. And I, that's in some senses that's a win for the Leafs because you know the yeah. Flyers are a weaker team than Boston and Tampa. It's it's amazing to me, and this is just like life as well as hockey. How common sense things just don't end up happening. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't make sense. The top teams were complaining that. They didn't have anything to play for. And the eight 
play-in teams were going to be in these heated series and they were going to be ready and then they were going to go right into a first round series and the top four teams in the conferences were really worried that they were going to lose it as a result of that like they they were asking for games that meant something so what are you going to give them that means something and that's when they decided that the the seating or whatever you want to call it was what they were going to be playing for and all of it anyway Imagine if they made Back to the Future and this was the future. We're all sitting, in our, <laughs> we're all sitting in our houses, and there's no sports, and <laughs> no well, one would have was be- foreseeable. No one would have believed any of this. No one would have. Well, I, I, did you ever read that story in the Atlantic? Um, there was a story in the Atlantic about two years ago about how a pandemic was coming, and it's like the level of prescience in that story is unbelievable. Like it literally, ha- it literally says what's going to happen. All of it. Oh, really? The, the the writer, his name's Ed. I can't remember his last name. He he went to uh, he went to um, the Congo and found where Ebola started and kind of got into the kind of the origins of that. And is is pretty fascinating. And it reading it backwards, reading it like two years later, it just makes you realize all of the holes in the system that that we weren't set up for something like this. Anyway, I'm on another tangent here, so. Get us no, back. It's a good get us back on the. I, get us back on the hockey rails here. I found the story. The story is the next plague is coming. Is America ready? By Ed Young, and it Ed was Young? published so, in like that guy. That guy. He's got like a PhD, and like you know, he knows a lot about like biology and whatever. And and he's he's a great journalist. So if people are interested in kind of some of the science of this stuff, read some of what Ed, Ed Young's been doing. Okay, so obviously the LEAF implication, because that's what matters here, James. Uh, on this is report. the LEAF report, not the Panthers the report. report. Go listen to George Richards if you want the Panthers report. Um, so the implication, obviously, is that the Leafs will play the Columbus Blue Jackets in a best of five series. That's the 8-9. Um, More like Columbus Boo Jackets. <laughs> that's not good. No, it's not, not good. good at all. No, that's just... So obviously Columbus is 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 not an easy opponent. Um, I don't know what what was your first reaction like to the potential of this series? Like I know you and I were texting and you were saying it's not great for the Leafs, and my response was, "Well, it's kind of what you get for having kind of the meh regular season that they had." Yeah, they were the Leafs were kind of insulated from having being further out of the playoff race because of the way. The Atlantic Division was how weak it was, with you know, with Montreal and Buffalo and Ottawa and Detroit. They were in one of the weaker divisions in the league with two really good teams, and then like no one really stepping up to get that third spot. And so, like if the Leafs had been in the Metro all year, they would have been in and out of a playoff spot. You know, even when they were winning all those games under Sheldon Keefe. So now in this format. Uh, Jonathan Willis, who writes about the Oilers for us, he put it this way. He he called it going from a divisional format to a conference format really hurt the Oilers, which is true because uh, the Pacific, I believe the Pacific, is weaker than the, the Central. Um, and the same is true in the Eastern Conference where the Atlantic is, is pretty weak. So you, if you look at just the Leafs record for the whole season, you make a good point. They didn't deserve more than this. This is what they deserved. They're kind of just... They they have the twelfth best record in the NHL. They're kind of just in the mushy middle. There's a whole bunch of teams there. Like the Leafs only have one more point than the Islanders. They only have one more point than the Jets. Two more points than the Rangers. Like these teams we talk about as being like also Rans and like out of it or whatever. Like mm-hmm. like people are talking about the Rangers is like oh well, how much of a chance did they have? They're two points behind the Leafs. Like <laughs> it's they had the same season, you know, like. It's it's not like the Panthers are only three points back with a game in hand. Like the Panthers, so yeah, you're right. Though I mean, the Leafs didn't didn't really earn a really easy path out of this. But before the shutdown, they had like an 86 percent chance of making the first round, and now they've got. I mean, we can debate how much of a chance they got. I think Columbus is a lot better than people think, and I think they're going to be a real handful for the Leafs. You know, I think that they're better than their record. They were the most injured team in the NHL this year. So many other best players missed so many games. I mean, you look at their, you look at their, uh, their scoring leaders list, and how many guys have played 
a lot of games. It's, it's pretty low. And, and, and it sounds like they're going to be fully healthy. They're going to get everyone back. So that's kind of one of the weird things in all this. Hmm. So you think they're better than their record? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, any team that has 420 man games lost in 70 games, like they were on pace for... Uh, let's do that math in my head. They were on pace for almost 500 man games lost, which is going to be one of the highest totals in the last like 10 years. They were one of the most injured teams we have seen in the NHL. So, yeah, I mean, if I know the Leafs had injuries, too. I mean, I think the Leafs were third or fourth in that stat. So these are two of the most injured teams. And all of a sudden you take three months off and everyone's going to be healthy and potentially rusty. And who knows what that's going to look like? It's it's you know what it is. It's a good test of the kind of fortitude of the Leafs. Can they step up and can they be can they be what they should be like? They should be able to beat a Columbus team. They're 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 not that much better than them, but they are better than them. So they they should be the favorites. They should win, but do they step up and do they do it? Okay, so without having done tons of research into Columbus's injury situation, I I do dispute a little bit about the meaning of that because I'm looking at the the guys who played the most games, and most of their best players played. Like obviously, Cam Atkinson missed a bunch of time. Seth Jones missed about 14 games. Uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand missed like 20 games, but I don't know. I don't know who we're really looking at and saying those are devastating injuries. Like Pierre-Luc Dubois played 70, Wierenski played 63. Um, I mentioned Jones played 56, Boone Jenner played 70, Alex Wenberg played 57. I don't know. David Savard played 68. I, I just don't know who these injuries are that are so significant. Maybe they had they had like six guys play most of the games. Like, uh, I know, the, but if it's like their fourth line forward and their sixth defenseman, I don't know how that. Well, I mean, Columbus, the way they're built, is a lot different than the Leafs, right? Like they're not top heavy. They lost Panarin and Bobrovsky last year, so I mean, they've had they've had goalie injuries. They they've had pretty much like I, there have been times this year where Columbus has had like eight guys out at once, which the Leafs have not had. Like if the Leafs had eight guys out in a game. Like, and it's not just like the fourth line centers and stuff like here. I'm just trying to look at, I mean, I would have, I guess guess there's one big one. Ryan Murray has only played 27 games. He's one of their top four D. Look how many defensemen they've used this year. Like, look how many defensemen have played a lot of games. Like it's crazy. Yeah. They've they've gone like 10 deep on the blue line. Like imagine if the Leafs were using their 10th best defenseman, like, you know, they would be playing a bunch of Marley's guys every game. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hear you. I'm not sure it's ex- significant as those numbers suggest, but if you're a team that's not top heavy and you're relying on your depth and you take away a bunch of like your eighth best forward, ninth best forward, fourth D, fifth D, it adds up. I, I'm not sure I believe that they're better than their record. You know, Josh um, Anderson had almost 30 goals last year. He missed basically yeah. the entire season. Like, Yeah, you know, that's a significant one. That, that That's like two significant injuries. But like I can point to the Leafs and say – that it's actually significant players who missed like real time. Well, there, you can make I, you can make a lot of that. I, I'd have to look further into that. I just I just know that there have been games where it's like, who are these guys on this team? Like, look at the guys that have played ten plus games for them: Ryan McKinnis, Dean Kukin, Jacob Lilia. You know they they've had a lot of guys: Kevin Stenland, Eric Robinson. They've had like Eric Robinson has played fifty games for them. They've had to push a lot of their young players into games. So it's Emil Bemstrom. <laughs> anyway, I did, I just, I've watched some Columbus games when they've had lots of guys out and I was like, wow, like it's, it's been impressive how good of a season they've had. And, and obviously Elvis, uh, Merzlikens, Merzlikens. Yeah. Obviously he's had a phenomenal season too. So wouldn't that scare you a little bit that you're going in against this goalie that came in really highly touted and had a 923 save percentage and was, was one of the hottest goalies in the NHL when things shut down. Yeah. I, I think the point you made that I agree with, cause I don't really totally buy into the injury thing, but I do agree with that. They're not, no opponent's going to be great, but I think they're kind of the perfectly styled opponent to beat a team like Toronto in that, who they're what they're all about is kind of like how they work and like the team concept and their coach. And, and like, obviously we saw last year and and granted they had Panera and they had Bobrovsky, but like last year they beat 
the best team we've seen in a long time, they swept them. Like they're they're kind of like the opposite identity of the league. Columbus, in that they're not overflowing with talent, but they're going to yes. kind of beat you with their will. Well, you were pointing out that their top scorer, their top goal scorer, only has twenty one goals, and their top point guy only has forty nine. But that's just not that's not the way that they've been winning games. You know, they've been they've been right. grinding teams down, and they've been playing kind yeah. of a safe brand of hockey and. Like they, like they have not scored a lot of goals this year. I think they have 180 goals or something. Like they're not a high powered team. But I think if they get everyone healthy and they they play an aggressive, you know, John Tortorella kind of kind of game, and I just it, it's it's certainly a worthy test for the Leafs. It's not like they're getting Montreal. It's not like they're getting Chicago. They're not getting some team that they're the over overwhelming favorite against. Well, in, in a five game series. Everything yes. is on the table. Well, like, and look Columbus how weird everything is one. too, right? Like, I mean, who knows who's going to be, who's going to perform best in these circumstances? Jonas, there are going to be guys that haven't trained hard enough over this break. There are going to be guys who have just sat around and like, I don't want to like put name names or whatever, but like, there are going to be guys that play like absolute dog crap in these series. And we're going to be like, what has he been doing? And it's, you know, you think about, Everyone out there listening and you and I, how hard this has been on everybody just kind of having so many things you're used to having taken away. There's a lot of that going on for the professional athletes too. And like, obviously, like I think some people are seeing like the Instagram pictures of the guys with the mansions and the pools and whatever. And like some guys are really well set up and everything, but normalcy has been taken away. A lot of these players are really young. And I think that in some cases they're going to, you know, some guys are going to let their bodies go, and they're not going to be ready. And that's going to be part of. I don't even know if it's. That's going to be part of what decides who wins these things. But I don't even know if it's that. Like, I don't know that it would be. I guess there's there, there's going to be a contingent who are like that, but you're not able to train for like a while. Yep. You weren't able to train like you would want to, or there there just there wasn't. If you were trapped in your condo, or you're like. You don't have the, you don't have a gym or you don't have like, you're, you're just not going to be in the same shape. Now they're going to get time to like get themselves back into, um, into shape. But you could see in a situation like that, um, where some guys like you're pointing out are just not ready. That's why I'm not sure. Like you mentioned Elvis, like, I'm not sure how much it matters that he was just on this role before. Like that was months ago. And like, he's a rookie and who knows how, like, that's the thing. Like, who knows how anybody is going to look? Like, maybe Frederick it wasn't Anderson a role, though, Jonas. Break. Maybe that's how good he is. Like, he came in maybe. Like, super highly touted. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Who know? But who knows, like, how, who knows, like, what the, the carryover will be for Frederick Anderson. And, like, we expect Austin Matthews will score. But it's, like, it's a five-game series. Like, he could just go cold. I've um, laughed. Like, a lot of the fans are like, oh, well, Matthews is really good in October. So, that's going to this is going to be like October for him and people are trying to like logic the situation here. But what I do think is it, it might be helpful um, if, if they can get past a team like Columbus um, that it kind of sets them up well for whatever comes next. Yeah. Because to beat a team like that, you're going to kind of have to like, they're going to have to find what's maybe been missing a little bit during the regular season because there's just no time for bullshit. And maybe then you come into that series with Washington or Boston or whoever, and you're kind of like you're you're primed and you're you're kind of in a better position than maybe you would have been. Like we we've talked a lot about it before, um, how the Leafs have gone into the playoffs, how they've not really gone in firing on all cylinders because they just haven't needed to. If you believe that logic, um, and this won't allow for that. Like this, if they're going to beat Columbus, they're going to be in a better position theoretically going into that next series. Well, it'll give them a measure of confidence and there'll be no yeah. talk of being rusty or anything like that after you've gone through a four or five game war against a team like Columbus, who I don't think is going to lay down and die. So, you know, then they're going to be challenged. As you said, it's a kind of matchup that's, you know, a well-organized, hardworking team that doesn't relent is, is it's a good test for them. Yeah. And, and it sets them up well where... If they play, if the Leafs play how they can play, yeah, in a series like that, then I'm sure they'll be. And then you know, you know, the Leafs have one of the better records of the teams that's going to be taking part in this play-in, right? So, yep. 
if they do the reseeding thing that the players want to see happen and which makes the most sense, you know, they could get whichever team has the weakest results out of that round robin. And, um, you know, maybe they get, maybe they get Philadelphia or something like that, which is a team that wasn't that far ahead of them in the standings. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there are way, there are scenarios here where I'm just trying to think if I've got that right. Yeah. So the Leafs had the third best record of the teams in this play in format. Pittsburgh and Carolina are ahead of them. And Carolina's ahead just because they played fewer games than the Leafs. So, you know, they could go into the, well, I mean, they might only have be the third best. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking myself out of this now. So if they're only the third <laughs> best team in the play in, then they would get potentially the third. Yeah. The second best team the of the round robin. Team. So they could they could yeah. still easily get Tampa or Boston. So never mind. Everything I just said the last 30 seconds made no sense. So I, I changed But now my... that you're mentioning the records and stuff, one thing I don't love uh, about the format is there's no... Obviously, home ice advantage doesn't exist. There's no carrot for the better team. Like I think Pittsburgh has like 15 more points than... Uh, Montreal and obviously they'll get the home game so they'll get last change so that helps but like it's almost like they should just get a game like they should be just be up one nothing or something in that case yes in the case where I mean Pittsburgh's playoff odds before the shutdown were 99 percent and Montreal's were 0.01 percent like oh my god they were almost nothing that's not fair well they shouldn't be in this that's what I said off like that's what I said at the beginning like 24 teams doesn't work because you're right. Like, I mean, they should give Pittsburgh two games or three games. Well, they can't give yeah. them three games because the series will be over. <laughs> give them two <laughs> games and like Montreal has to run the table or, but then like you get into this whole thing, like Montreal players already are saying like, I don't know if I want to come back for this thing. And like, I gotta, we should talk about some of the logistics of this because I don't know if it's been fully reported or talked about. And, you know, like a lot of the players are not in the city where they play right now. Toronto's probably a bit right. of an anomaly where there's a lot of players in Toronto. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, the logistics of, like, the difference between, let's do it this way. The difference between Ottawa and Montreal right now. Like, if you're one of those players. Ottawa, you're done. Ottawa, you have seven months off. You're not coming back and playing till December or January. You can train. You can do whatever you want in the context of the world that we live in right now. Say you're a European guy, you're Hogberg or whatever, you go back to Sweden and everything's open there. So you're at the beach and you're living the life. But if you're Montreal, you're stuck in your quarantine. You got to get on a plane, which is not going to be a great experience right now. You got to go back to Montreal. Mm-hmm. You got to train in your phase three with your other your other players. Uh, while in quarantine, you got to get tested every day. Then you got to fly with your team to this bubble and you got to train there and you got to get ready. You got to play two exhibition games. Then you got to play in a play-in series against Pittsburgh. And then, presumably, you're going to lose that. And then you go into your your summer. It's a lot different. Like, if you're a European guy playing for Montreal or for Ottawa, I'm sure you're like, man, I wish I played for Ottawa right now. And I know that sounds bad and everything. But, like, I, I was talking about to a player agent about this. And I was like, well, it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of money at stake in this thing for, for some of these players and whatever. Like, if you're a league minimum guy, how much money are you going to make out of this? And the agent's like they're not getting paid at all right now. Like they, their paychecks have already happened. Like this whole, they're not going to be getting any money for doing this. Like directly, they're not going to be getting a paycheck while they're doing this. It's more for like the greater good of the league that there's going to be some money saved from future escrow by them doing this. But there's going to be a lot of players that don't want to do this. Well, as you're framing it, it's kind of like five months of crap not not great conditions for like a week maybe well for these teams that are like fringy teams like like i'm surprised well, montreal, and, and montreal didn't vote against this format like if those like those players maybe it's just someone like shea weber standing up and on the team conference call and saying like look like i i'm pretty sure i and i don't think this has been talked about either but i'm pretty sure the pa gave kind of like for the good of the league kind of speech to the players and said like, we need to do this because hockey is going to be in big trouble here. Like we, we need to play some games and and enter back into the fans consciousness. And like, we can't not have the Stanley cup, you know, we need, we need to put on a show and for the good of hockey, for the good of NHL hockey anyway. Well, and the other thing, James, like that, I don't know how much 
I don't know. I'm sure players have started to think about it and they've touched on it a bit, but that bubble thing is not going to be enjoyable. No. Uh, the NBA has tried to like frame it as they're calling it like a campus environment to try to make it sound a little better. Well, at least those guys it's get to go to Disney World. They get to go to they get yeah. to go to Typhoon Lagoon and like like I hope they open all the rides and everything for the players. Yeah. But it's just going to be like tight quarters potentially like if you are competing for the cup like you get all the way to the final for like three months where you're just in like this bubble and you can't leave. Well, the players are worried in some of the, it sounds like in some of, I don't know if you've been reading some of the stuff that's happening in some of the like baseball and soccer and other countries overseas are back underway. And in some of those leagues and whatever, uh, the stuff I've been reading, the players have to, they can't leave their rooms. Like they get this little meal brought to them and they like, there's, there's guys that have to just, so the NHL players, this Devin Dubnik had a story that where he talked to, Mike Russo at the, at the Athletic that I recommend people read, and and Dubnik is is saying, are we going to be stuck in our room for like months on end? And the Minnesota is another team like they were kind of right on the fringe of like being relevant in the playoff race, and then all of a sudden you got a. There's all kinds of logistical things happening here too. Like if you come into Canada, you have to have a 14 day quarantine. So let's say you're an American or a European player playing for a Canadian team, and you got to come back, and then you got a quarantine, which is not fun like total quarantine uh, in your house and then you got to train in quarantine and then you got to and then you got to travel around a bunch of times and there's and then you go into the bubble environment and you're a team that doesn't have much chance to actually win this thing I know people don't have a lot of sympathy for, for professional athletes but look at it from their perspective if you're a guy making a league minimum salary which has had a huge escrow chunk taken out of it already and there's going to be more that comes out of it in the future and you look at all the things you got to go through to play in a tournament that you don't have a very good chance of winning. You can see why like some of these, you know, like 24 year old professional athletes are saying, I wish I could just come back next season kind of thing. Well, and that's an important point to make is that this is just like, as, as Dubnik made in that story with Mike Russo, this is just like the very first step. Like the first thing you, you just have to figure out is like, okay, if we're going to play, like, how do we play? Um, and obviously, like the NBA is trying to figure out their format. They haven't done it. MLB players and, and owners, they haven't agreed on, on what their format's going to look like. So there's still like tons and tons of different hurdles, obviously. Well, for there are going to be lots of things the players won't vote for. Like they voted for the format begrudgingly. Like they got this yeah. through, but it's just the format. Like that's literally the only thing that's been decided. Like none of this other, how the bubble yeah, city no stuff. <sighs> Yeah, there's no dates. And that's another thing that the players are not super happy with right now is that like there's like a lot of us, the, you know, there's not a lot of certainty for anybody. So it's it, it could get to the point, Jonas, where in a few weeks it goes to a vote and the players are like, I'm not doing that. Or it could be a vote that's like really close. I think they need 60% or two thirds or something to vote it through and I, they might not get it. Like there might be a bunch of these these teams and these players that say, I don't want to do this. Well, we touched on this a, a few weeks ago, and it's it's kind of rung in my mind since you kind of hammered this point home. Is it really worth it? Like, what is financially? It's it's a lot. Of, like, it answer that question. Is it worth it financially to to try to jump through all these hurdles? So, like, I think that we should do a story on that at some point. So, I don't want to like go into all the reporting okay. that I've been doing on, but. Like how much more money is there? How much money is there for the the NHL to make? There's no fans. How much money can they make play, playing out all these games, all the all the exhibition play-in games, playoff Stanley Cup final? Where, where where's the 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 revenue coming from? That's going to make this it's worthwhile. Just, they're they're just living up to their TV right responsibilities. They're, right. They're they're trying to get their full TV deals and their full sponsorship deals too. Right. You know all the sponsorship right. deals. And. What I heard is that you know a lot of those deals are heavily weighted towards the playoffs because the playoffs are really in terms of interest level and ratings and all of those things. So if you don't play the playoffs, there's a chunk of those deals that you lose. That's why they want to come back. Now there's a debate between the player side, how much money is at stake, and the league side, how much money is at stake. And the league's going to do all kinds of funky extra things to try and make money off this. You know, they're going to be, I wonder if, like, I wonder if they put like ads on the jerseys or like, like they're going to be doing as much as they can to try and monetize this. But no matter what happens, 
the revenue shortfall for the league is going to be really big. And they're just trying to make it, they're trying to stop it from being much bigger than it, than it would be if, if they don't play any games. Okay. We should uh, take a quick break. Um, and then we, we need to talk about Nick Robertson. We need to kind of touch on what the lineup is potentially going to look like for the Leafs when, if the season comes back. So we'll be right back. Uh, and then we'll get into the, some of that stuff. James smelling good is really important. And Hawthorne smells really good. And we've got Father's Day coming up. This is the perfect gift for your dad. It's really easy to get some Hawthorne cologne. All you have to do is take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use promo code LEAF to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code LEAF to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. So James, one of the developments, developments, news, we need some news, um, is something you and I have been talking about for weeks and, and kind of batting around is the possibility, likelihood of Nick Robertson being on the Leafs or competing for a roster spot when the season, if the season comes back, you and I always kind of agreed that it was a no-brainer for for it to happen. And Kyle Dubas confirmed that um, Nick Robertson was asked to come back from Los Angeles to quarantine uh, and be ready to potentially play for the Leafs when the season comes back. I think it's a certainty that he's going to get a real look. Um, you feel the same way, I think. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, um, Kyle Dubas came out and clarified that, that uh, Robertson hadn't made the team. Like it hadn't been determined that he is on the taxi squad. It had been determined that yeah. he was going to train in the groups. And, but I mean, like I saw making, that, but that's just, that's, that's not what it's just know. saying that like, they haven't technically decided what the, it's because the league hasn't asked for that. And anyway, like if, if they're making him come back from California and quarantine and train in the groups, whatever, he's he's making the team, whether it's on the taxi squad or like actually playing games. Like, I think he's going to play games. You know, I if, do too. If there are games, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to come to those informal skates and he's going to go into the training camp and he's going to be better than some of the guys the Leafs have on their fourth line and. And he's the kind of player I would want to play in a series against Columbus. And the kid just sounds like mm-hmm. he eats hockey for breakfast and for lunch and his snack and, and dinner and then midnight snack again. And then he gets up in the middle of the night and has some more hockey. And then, like, he, I, I don't know how that kid fell as far as he did in the draft. Like, it's just, it's incredible. That's, that's going to, that might go down as one of the, I mean, it's early because he hasn't played yet. That might go down as one of the best picks the Leafs have ever made given where he was picked and and the kind of season he had and what he potentially can do in the NHL. If you can draft like that, it covers certainly a lot of uh, a lot of contracts that are bigger than you had hoped they were going to be, not to name any names. Yeah, well, and, and the early returns of like, we'll see how the rest of the picks play out, but like Kyle Dubas's first two picks in each draft look like winners like big winners like Rasmus Sandin looks like he should have been picked higher and obviously we'll see what Nick Robertson can do but it looks like the same thing um but I I would bet sorry to interrupt you but not only that Jonas but you look at some of their deeper picks and there's some really interesting players in there too so this could be something where we look at just the drafting that the Leafs have done the last couple of years and you know I I don't even know how to pronounce it Nick Abruziz Abruzizi. Abruzizi. So mm-hmm. Josh Cloak, one of our writers, wrote about him earlier this week. I mean, you know, he went, he got drafted in 2019. He's a little guy, but, you know, he played for Harvard this year as a rookie and had 44 points in 31 games. And last year in the USHL, 80 points in 62 games. And now a lot of these are like small skilled guys. And I know some fans are going to roll their eyes at uh, that idea, but you know, if you're with fourth round picks, if you're getting guys who, you know, at, at, you know, 19 years old or lighten up the NCAA, I will make that fourth round pick any day. So, you know, there's, there's some pretty interesting things that have been happening on the draft front that, that are the fruits of that are starting to be, to show themselves really quickly here for the Leafs. 
Yeah, well, and the team that's done that exceptionally well, obviously, is a division foe. Like Tampa, you look at lots of their stars. They're not first round picks. Like they're they're like deeper in the draft. They're fines. Like Braden points like a later pick. Kucherov, I think, is a second. Uh, like Kalorn and uh, Kalorn might be a first round pick. But anyway, like no, no, he some was, of those guys are deeper. Kalorn was, I think, a third round. I think he was a third round pick. But yeah, I mean, Palat is a late round pick. I think he's a seventh. Obviously, the two uh, Victor Hedman's like top five. But go ahead. The two best, yeah, Kalorn's a third round pick. The the two best drafting teams in the NHL, I would say, the last what do you want to say, like seven years, eight years, whenever Palat and those guys were picked, would be Tampa and Anaheim. And Anaheim's not known as like a new school analytics team. They're not. Um, mm-hmm. But their scouting staff is very, very good. And, you know, yeah. if you look at all the defensemen that, that Anaheim's drafted, and, and unfortunately they wasted a lot of them in, in, you know, losing them in the expansion draft and making bad trades and things like that. But uh, it's such a weapon if you can – I think the Leafs, like it, where would we put them historically as a drafting team in over the last 15 years? Probably like in the bottom 10 for sure. And they've traded away so many yeah. picks. They've traded away so many picks too. And obviously the Leafs have had to trade their first round pick. They haven't had to, but circumstances dictated that they trade their first round pick the last two years. But um, anyway, we're on like kind of a rabbit hole. We can do a draft show at another date when there's going to be a draft, which sounds like it's going to be in like September or October or something. We should get into that. But but to to get back to Robertson, um, obviously Dubis, Dubis raved about him and deservedly so. Like he had a historic... Uh, season, but I just can't see any way when they start practicing and we're not, I don't even know if we're going to get to see practice as media. We'll, we'll see about that. Maybe it'll be but streamed. I just can't see. Might be streamed for us. We can watch oh it God. from our bubble boy or maybe, yeah, maybe we'll wear one of those big bubble suits like that bubble boy movie and we'll get to walk around <laughs> the arena in one of those. That'd be cool. Or bubble boy from Seinfeld. Yeah. 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 Maybe we'll have to wear one of those. That would be hey, fun. Hey, um, I'm Mitch Marner. I got a question for you from my bubble. <laughs> that's that's the way he the bubble boy talks. But I just don't see any way that he's not on one of those top three lines. And and it'll be fun. it's probably fun right now for Sheldon Keith to kind of play around with what he'll do with the lines when things come back. But the lineup is going to look significantly different than when things left off. Maybe significantly is too strong. But obviously, Morgan Riley had just come back. Jake Muzzin will be back. Ilya Mikheyev will be back. And you add Robertson and like suddenly... That's a pretty significant boost. It's going to knock some people out of the lineup. It's going to knock Dennis Malgin out of the lineup. It could knock Frederick Goche out of the lineup. Um, it, it's just going to be a, a better team. Like This team has not been healthy the whole year. Um, it won't be fully healthy, but the lineup is going to look as good as it possibly could outside of Janssen being back. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the advantages to the – I mean, it seems weird to talk about advantages of, of what's happened the last few months, but. Yeah, it is one. And the other thing, too, is like, Jonas, if you think about it, like someone as young as Nick Robertson, there's like his development schedule, like three months probably makes a difference for him. <laughs> you know, it probably makes yeah. he's probably more ready. You know, there was lots of talk he was going to make the team in September. These games might not start till August. <laughs> you know, it's pretty close to when a normal training camp. So this is almost like. We're seeing next season's Nick Robertson this season because this season has become next season because of when this season is being played. Hmm. My head is spinning. I got it all figured out. It's kind of like Back to the Future, except we, except instead of riding in a DeLorean and going to the future, you just sit in your house and do nothing for four months until something happens. So you're saying where we're going, they, we won't need roads? Well, we don't need roads, man, because no one drives our car. My, my car's sitting there. The battery died the other day because it hadn't been driven in so long. Wow. It is interesting, though, James, like just thinking ahead to like off season, whenever that's going to be, um, this does give them like a little bit of a window into their lineup when you take out one puzzle piece up front. And that piece in this case is Janssen. But you get to kind of see how things could shake out when you remove that guy and put someone like Robertson in. I never thought about that. But yeah, like they're they're probably going to have to trade Janssen anyway. So yeah, that's interesting. Or even if you trade Kappen and you get an idea of, do you have enough up front? Yeah. With the group that you've got minus one of your top six or top nine wingers. I'm going to write about Kapanen very soon. So he's like very top of mind. I, I have lots of thoughts on him right now. So I heard that he's in Toronto. He didn't go back to Yeah, well, he, he, uh, he told me uh, in the fall 
that last summer was the first time he stayed in Toronto. He didn't go home. That that's probably like a girlfriend thing or something, probably, and just like he said, he just wanted and... to stay around the city and train at like train as normal and kind of yeah, yeah, he liked yeah. it. So anyway, come on, that's not maybe who knows. <laughs> but anyway, like he's one of the guys that's that's here. Um, you yeah. you mentioned the schedule, so I've been doing some digging on this. Um, so what do you think the schedule is for when this training camp is going to start? If everything proceeds, I guess the start of July, end of June. Yeah. So I'm hearing like it could be like July 10th ish. Like they would, they would like is it to be a little bit ju- earlier than that, but it might be July 10th. So like is when camp starts. Yeah. So, oh my God. <laughs> so like, let, let here, let, this is just like, I've just heard this from a couple of people. So it's like, it's nothing set in stone. They haven't figured this out yet, but like do the math on this. So camp's going to be two, two and a half weeks. So it starts July 10th. Camp's not done till they got to play exhibition games. All that's probably not done till the end of July. So then the play-in games start very end of July or early August. Play-in games are going to take at least ten days because they're five-game series. Maybe they maybe they have some back-to-backs or something with the quarantine environment. So you're not starting the actual playoffs until August. Where are we? Tenth, twelfth, and then the playoffs yeah. take two months. August twelfth to September twelfth. September twelfth to. You're into October. Stanley Cup could be given out in October. That's where we're well, at. Well, right I think now. they uh, they they haven't nailed this down, and I think Gary Bettman mentioned that they haven't decided one way or the other. But I think I would go best of five in the first two rounds. Like I just well, think that's why they I know that's why they might why have to. You want they might have to. Yeah, like I, I just think you're you're well, and, and forget about like just why they have to for schedule like you're just asking potentially for more trouble like if you try to suck everything you possibly can from this it's going to go to a player vote though jonas and you know as you said you know john Tavares was yeah. savvy enough to say i don't want to do a best of three in this plan series and players are going to say i don't really want to do two rounds of best of five but if they get to the point where There's these delays and like just the logistics of what we talked about, getting all the players back. A lot of players are not where they're supposed to be right now. Like that's going to take time. The logistics of it that can't might not start until mid-July. And then you're really, really stressed on your timeline where you don't want to be giving out the Stanley Cup in mid to late October. They're going to try and get it in by September because then they're going to give the players October, November off. And then training camp for next season is going to be in December. And then... And this is something that I put on Twitter a couple days ago. Next season is probably going to start in January, which is, and they're going to try and play a full year. Which I, I can't see happening. I think next year is probably 70 games. And I've, I've spent literally no time thinking about it, but I don't buy that. How? Like, how are they going to do that? They're going to keep pushing it back every year. Like so the new normal. Keep fucking up every year? That, that could be the new normal, apparently. This is the kind of thing that people in hockey are talking about right now behind the scenes. And like they, they're not putting it out into, they're not putting it out into, into the media because they, they don't, because it's all, it's all wild. Like, can you imagine if the new normal is that the NHL starts in December or January? I guess it's, it's, I mean, there's no reason why it doesn't make sense. Well, except that your playoffs would be July and August. Like that's, <laughs> I guess that's a good reason why it doesn't make sense. And I'm sure the players want their offseason to be in the summer, not to be in like October. Like, I can't imagine the players are going to like that. Well, and then like, uh, yeah, I don't know. All right. What do we have next? We're, we're coming up on the last couple of minutes here. Well, let's just touch on a couple of things quickly. No, we don't even have to go quickly. But uh, you ended up catching up with Jeff Finger, who I was covering the team obviously daily uh, at that point, going to every game. He barely talked. Like it was hard to get him to talk. And when he did, he didn't say much. And you kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit. What was like the most surprising thing? That was my first year covering the team when when he started. And I think I barely talked that first year too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what though, Jonas? Like this is one thing I've learned in this job is that you give people the benefit of time to think about things and to think about what they should have done and what they should have said and what they wanted to say. And, and I, I reached out to Jeff through, uh, he's, he's an assistant coach with, uh, some tiny division three team in his hometown. 
And, and I emailed the head coach of that team and I said, hey, would, would Jeff talk to me? I'm a, a Leafs writer with The Athletic. And then Jeff uh, texted me and said, hey, you know, I heard you want to talk to me. What, uh, what did you want to talk about? And I was like, well, we're doing this thing where we talk to former Leafs players and we tell their stories. And, um, you know, we, we've talked to Cody Franzen and Kyle Wellwood and a couple other examples. And I know you're working on some other ones, too. Um, we want to tell your story. And he's like, well, who else are you going to talk to for this story? And I was like, no, I just want to talk to you. Like, this isn't going to be like how everything went wrong and why the Leafs screwed up and this is a bad contract. And this is your story. Like, I want, I, mm -hmm. you know, I said, I told him, I, I heard you got hurt. I heard you had to retire because you got hurt. And I thought it was a shame that, that your story didn't, that story didn't get told. And, um, he's like, yeah, you're right. You know, I didn't get to tell my story. And if you want me to tell my side of what happened in Toronto, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and the thing that you had warned me and said, like, he's not much of a talker. Some guys in, in, in not just in hockey, but in life are just not very eloquent people. It's just not the way they are. So I went into it being like, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this. Like, I don't know how open he's going to be. I don't know. And it was just like, like we talked for over an hour. It was like an hour and 20 minutes or something. And it was mostly him talking. And it was very clear that, I don't know if I want to say he'd been waiting for this because he, he's obviously like a pretty low key guy, but he was really, it seemed like really thankful of the opportunity to, to, to tell his side of the story because he had never done it. And, and the reasons why he was so quiet in Toronto that he was really intimidated by the situation. He was not used to kind of the media and he just wasn't well prepared for that. If you look at his career where he played and he's from a really small town in Michigan in the middle of nowhere. and he he just wasn't ready for it. He didn't really know. Like he had played really one full season for Colorado and, you know, the media environment with, around the Avalanche is a lot different. And he was able to blend in behind Joe Sackick. And, you know, he said the first Avalanche training camp he went to, like Timo Solani and Paul Correa were there and they were like, there were all these other mm -hmm. people. And and in, in Toronto, people talk to the, the fourth and fifth and sixth defensemen. In Colorado, it's much less so that those guys are in, in the bubble. So he just, you know, put his head down and didn't say very much. And then he got to Toronto and it's a lot harder to do, especially when you sign a big contract. And we've seen that happen with a number of guys. Anyway, it was, he, honestly, I came away from it. Jonas and I was like, like, he seems like such a, like a really great guy. And, and since I wrote the story, I heard from some people that know him really well. And they all said like, just like really humble, hardworking, kind person and, you know, he talked about kind of what a clusterfuck his time in Toronto turned out to be. And the other thing that blew me away that I did not know going into talking to him for the story on that phone call was how much he loved the Leafs and how much, like, the reason he picked the Leafs was because they're the Leafs. And they held this position. He's a huge hockey fan. I, I think probably the Red Wings were his favorite team because he's from Michigan and that was, but like, the Leafs were right there. Just in terms of, and Montreal too, he talked about how much he liked, but kind of like original six teams that, you know, like his, his dad would have been a, his dad was a really big in the hockey community in Houghton, where he's from in, in Michigan. Um, so when the team started bidding for Finger, there were a whole bunch of them and it was mostly uh, expansion teams that had been expansion teams. Uh, it was um, Anaheim, Atlanta, uh, I think San Jose was in there. There were a bunch of teams offering somewhat similar money to what he got from Toronto. But it, he said as soon as his agent, Neil Sheehy, said to him, the Leafs are interested, he was like, that's where I want to go. you know. And that was the team that was at the very top of his list when he went into free agency. That was where he wanted to go. And no one had ever, he had never said that before. No one had ever written about that. And I had no idea about it until we got on the phone. And he just, he went on at like a great length you know, waxing nostalgic about watching the Leafs play the Canadians on hockey night in Canada when he was a kid. And like, so he came to Toronto with like stars in his eyes of like, and, and, and it's interesting, you know, like the, his last game for the Leafs was more than 10 years ago. And he's like, I still like his one of, he said one of his proudest moments was being a Leafs player and standing on the blue line before a big game. That was one of his proudest moments in his whole life. And then here's this guy that he's just like this, joke that everyone make because of the contract and i felt really bad for him especially when you bring in all of the he i mean he he didn't know me i don't know i didn't know jeff like he didn't remember me from when i covered him or anything 
And he's telling me about all the anxiety he had and the depression and all this stuff. And it was, I felt really bad for him. And I think that there's probably a good lesson in there about, um, you know, there's a good, there's a bunch of good lessons in there, but like for us as journalists that, you know, we should, we should tell some of these people's stories and we should probably tell some of them better. And well, and to interrupt you, James, you, we, especially the media should be careful that like, these are just people. And so like when you take gratuitous shots or you make fun or like, you got to be really careful. Like it's not Jeff Finger's fault that they overpaid him. That's management's fault. That was Cliff Fletcher and their management team. Like that, that has nothing to do with Jeff Finger. Jeff Finger didn't want, if someone offers you four years, 14 million and other teams are maybe even offering you more, you take it. I wonder Jonas, if he would have talked more and told his story and been kind of, but some people, it's just not who they are, right? Like, I, I think that this happened too, to somewhat in, in Toronto. I think this happened to Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel and some of these guys that can't really present really well in the media in Toronto. It's much harder for them, you know, and they get kind of, you know, Phil Kessel was kind of weird and he, William Nylander. Like, don't you think William Nylander, like a bunch, if he was this, if he got in front of the camera and was like different than he is, like I... I, I I like William Nealander. He's a great player and whatever. But like if, if he was like super gregarious and outgoing and like had these long conversations and the media loved him and loved going to him and talking to him the way that like Kadri or some of these other guys were, he would mm-hmm. get an easier ride. And, and I've yeah. written this before. It wasn't fair what happened to Phaneuf and Kessel and some of the some of the stuff that they got wasn't fair, but it's because of their personality it wasn't didn't really fit with what works in Toronto, if that makes sense. Well, it's been a good realization for me um, to understand that that some guys just aren't comfortable. Um, like you talked to Finger. Uh, I'm going to have a story up pretty soon on Cole Knorr. Cole Knorr probably didn't talk a total of five minutes to the media while he was in Toronto. And I can tell you that just as someone who tried all the time. I tried to talk to him. Like I made efforts. He seems very he just, shy. They would just say, he seemed very shy. And yet you talk to him now and he's just like, and you, you see him on the radio and he's done some media work and he he's very like he's well spoken. He has lots of thoughts and like it was just it. And then your finger story came out and I was just like, man, like I should realize that sometimes like these guys who who don't say much. And Neilander is one I, I've always believed there's there's a lot more happening there uh, that he has lots of thoughts and he just chooses not to, to say a ton. Um, but sometimes like guys just aren't comfortable. One of the things Colt Norris said is he just he just didn't want to cause a stir. He didn't want to say something that like might piss off the GM or push off, piss off the coach or piss off a teammate. So he just didn't say anything. And like I remember Phil Kessel one time when he was really mad. It was around that time. I don't know if you remember uh, where he got criticized really harshly in a story for not speaking after a game in Washington. And I I, I remember it really well which I usually don't remember details like that. But then he was really pissed off at the media. And so the next day or shortly thereafter, they were in Florida and they practiced and I asked to talk to him and they told me, no, he doesn't want to talk. And then I walked with him out of the building and he was explaining to me why he doesn't want to talk. And he said, everything I say gets taken out of context or or made into a bigger deal than it is. And so I just choose, like, I'd, I'd rather not do it. And I, I don't know that that's totally true, but there it's is not some 100% truth in it for wrong. Sure. <laughs> it's not wrong, right? It's not 100% wrong. I mean, so. yeah. It, it, like, we, we can be tough in the media and we should be tough when warranted, but we also have to be fair. And some of the stuff that happened with some of these guys wasn't fair. And no. So it was like finger was like, I should have advocated for myself a bit better. I should have stood up to Ron Wilson. I should have, but it's hard. There's almost like this militaristic kind of like, I do what's good for the team. Like you're saying with Colton or it's like, I I don't talk. I don't speak up. I I block shots and and I, I abuse my body and I get in fights and I make hits and, and I'm a cog in the machine and all it's all about do what's right for the team and going to some, media dork <laughs> or whatever you want to say and bearing your soul and telling your story and opening up and it's not in the DNA of a lot of these guys. So it was like, uh, honestly, like the experience with, with Jeff was, 
it, it was, it was great, you know, and, and I sent him the story and, um, you know, he said, I just wanted to say, you know, I got the text right here. Hey James, I just wanted to say, I think you did a really good job and I really appreciate it. Just like, I don't know. He was just, he sent me, I asked him for some pictures of him now and he sent me like dozens of pictures of him with his kids and like, we couldn't use all of them, but there's one of them in the story and it was just, you know what it, it also says Jonas is that we don't really know who some of these guys are as people because they're in this fake media construct with like TV cameras and we're in the dressing room for like 20 minutes or whatever. And some of the guys would get to know who they are, but some guys that just never happens. And Jeff Finger was one of those people that, that we didn't get to know who he was. Well, it's not set up for it to happen in Toronto, especially it's just, it's, it's volume. There's too many people, but some guys you do though. Like some guys you get to know who they are. And like, like I feel like you and I have some degree, we have a pretty good handle on a bunch of guys. Yeah, but it'd be different if you're covering the jackets and like you're one yes. of three people in the room every day and like you can just shoot the shit and it, it's just not that way in Toronto. It's it's different. So anyway, if people was, haven't read the story, obviously go read it. Um, honestly, Jonas, it's one of the most read stories I've ever done. I've ever done for the athletic. I've been with the like three and a half years is one of the most read, most popular stories we've ever done. So if and Props. if I want to say to other people, if. To, to our readers, if there's other former Leafs that we should reach out to and tell the stories of, let us know who you'd like to, to hear from because we're happy to, you know, we've got some time right now. We're happy to reach out and talk to them. So, you know, the last couple of weeks I've talked to Gary Roberts and Darcy Tucker and, you know, it's um, it's been interesting kind of digging in and talking to some players that I didn't cover and, and learning more kind of about their stories. Any other thoughts before we, we check out? Hmm. No, it was good to do one of these with just you because we've had lots of guests on the last few weeks. And I think that, you know, obviously you and I have lots to talk about. So, uh, you know, thanks to everyone for listening and, and subscribing. And, you know, our numbers have been shockingly strong through all of this. So, you know, the passion of Leafs fans, you know, it's we're thankful every day. You guys keep us employed and keep the athletic growing and being strong. So hope you're staying uh, safe and sane and wish you and your family all the best. And so if you haven't subscribed, James, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report. Download the app. Come say hi to us in the comments because I'm there every day. So <laughs> just living in the comments. Hey, the comments are good. So man, man yeah. of the people. So we will be. Yes. We will be back next week. I'm not sure if we'll have a guest. We haven't decided, um, but we will be back. So everyone stay safe. Keep well. Uh, James, take care of yourself. Thanks, buddy. Thanks.